The Maryland Baseball Network podcast is back. We have a schedule for the 2019 Maryland baseball season, and we will go through every game on the schedule for year two of the Rob Vaughn era. Plus, we will recap the summer Terps, how everybody coming back fared in their summer leagues, and recap what was a big year in pro Terps action. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. Here's your host, Justin Galanti. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Maryland Baseball Network Podcast. Glad to have you with us. As you heard, I'm Justin Galanti, joined by Joe Catapano and Connor Newcomb. Guys, we're recording this on Thursday night. The schedule came out yesterday. And that's kind of like Christmas in October. You know, the schedule's released. You know where Maryland's going this year. You know what teams everyone's going to see. It's a fun day. I'm sure you were excited, as excited as I was. I was definitely excited. It came as a little surprise since we don't know when the schedule's going to be released. And like you said, it's like Christmas morning. Uh, it's the first real thing that happens in terms of baseball news in the fall and in the school year. So I was very excited to see the schedule come out and kind of see the first taste of who Maryland will be playing in 2019. I mean, the most exciting part is probably the non-conference games. I mean, you know basically who Maryland's going to play in the conference schedule. It's obviously exciting to see some of the good teams in the Big Ten coming to College Park this year, which is exciting. But just getting to see what kind of road trips Maryland's going to be taking this year and what good teams outside the conference are going to be coming to Bob Turtlesmith Stadium, I think is the most exciting part of the schedule, just to see who Maryland's going to get to face up against you know, outside the Big Ten and start building RPI and building a season before they get into the grind of Big Ten baseball. Yeah, I, my main takeaway when I saw the schedule was, wow, is that home schedule tough? not only in conference, but also out of conference. But, you know, just speaking in the conference, you have four teams that made the Big Ten tournament last year coming to College Park. That's Michigan, that's Ohio State, that's Iowa, and that's Indiana. I mean, that is a tough home slate, not to mention a home series out of conference against ECU, the second half of a home-and-home home that was started last year down in North Carolina. That was my big takeaway. Is that what you guys thought? Yeah, I mean, you get hit when you start your Big Ten schedule with one of the perennial powers in the conference in the Indiana Hoosiers at the end of March, last weekend of March, coming to College Park as the Terps return from Omaha against Creighton and then will play Indiana to start the Big Ten slate. And that's quite a tough way to start it, but you get to start at home, which is nice, and you get to play at Bob Turtlesmith Stadium. But that's going to test the Terps right off the bat, and it's interesting because Maryland played Indiana to finish off the season last year and obviously had a chance in that series to qualify for the Big Ten tournament didn't go their way but now they get another shot at Indiana right away in Big Ten play to kind of make a statement that's obviously going to help them in the long run because you know Indiana is going to be there the top of the Big Ten by the end of the season. Yeah definitely a big takeaway uh, as you both have said um, but better be at home a tough schedule than on the road a tough slate and that's kind of what happened last year. Maryland had to go to Michigan they had to go to Indiana and Nebraska all very tough places to play so big takeaway yeah home, home schedule is definitely tough but better be at home than on the road. So this is going to be year two for Rob Vaughn, and um, maybe year one was not necessarily what the Terps hoped for. Didn't make the Big Ten tournament, obviously didn't make the NCAA tournament, but this is year two. They feel like there's more talent in, in here, um, and they are excited for this schedule. That is a tough one, and Big Ten teams over the last few years have maybe had trouble getting the RPI up in the area where they want it to be no matter really how many wins you get unless you're, you know, the Indiana team or the Illinois team from a few years back that went like 44 and 7 or whatever that was. 
That's not going to be the case this year. And we'll break this down more specifically, sort of chronologically in a moment. But when you look at some of the teams on this schedule, Coastal Carolina, Louisiana Lafayette, Maryland is playing three teams that hosted regionals last year, two teams that made super regionals. They got ECU here, go to Creighton, Indiana. Illinois made the Big Ten tournament last year. West Virginia's a good team. Ohio State's a good team. Michigan's good. Minnesota was the best team in the league by far last year. So this isn't one of those cases where maybe you're humming along in the schedule and it's the Big Ten, which isn't the best baseball conference, and you're saying, where are our quality wins going to come if you are Maryland? That's not the case here. There are a lot of good teams on this schedule. Yeah, you mentioned them, so I'm not going to just mention them all again. Uh, but like you said, just the amount of teams that hosted regionals um, and a team like Stetson, they played last year, and that's a team that went to the Super Regionals, and Maryland took two out of three last year from them. So that's a good sign just a, as a building block to see that they did have a, a hint of success against teams like that last year, uh, and they're on the schedule again this year uh, and see if uh, see what can happen in year two under Rob Vaughn. And Maryland starts right off the bat. You know, you thought last year maybe that – Tennessee would end up being a pretty solid team. They obviously didn't have the year they wanted. Still one of the you know bottom half teams in the SEC, and a team that although it's good to get those two wins that Maryland got, you know it's not one of those big RPI builder teams. They go to Coastal Carolina, although it's a tournament, so they'll only be playing the Chanticleers once. That's an NCAA tournament team, obviously, and a team that is coming off an NCAA championship just a few years ago. So Terps picked them off last year in that tournament and swept it, and that's how they start the season. They get a chance for what could be a huge RPI win right off the bat in the first weekend. Yeah, so that first weekend, February 15th, 16th, and 17th, will be down in Conway, South Carolina, which is essentially Myrtle Beach. And Maryland will have, on Friday, they'll play the Campbell Camels, one of the better uh, team names in college, I would say. Then they have Coastal Carolina on Saturday and sort of the marquee game of that little tournament. And then VCU, uh, a team Maryland's actually going to play three times this year, barring any weather issues in midweeks, which we always see. That'll be the Sunday game. So three pretty good teams. VCU didn't make the tournament last year, but they're pretty good out of the A-10 always. Coastal Carolina hosted a regional last year, as you said, Connor won the 2016 National Championship, and Campbell's a sneaky good team, made the tournament last year, um, nearly took a game from Ohio State in the regional. So that's a pretty good start to the season. Yeah, and I think, you know, one of the good parts about it is playing that Campbell team right off the bat. You know, you, you kind of look at Campbell name recognition-wise and you say, oh, you know, by far the big game on in this weekend is Coastal Carolina. That's the big one where the Terps can – you know, pick off a huge victory. But as you said about that Campbell team, they went to the NCAA tournament last year. They had 35 wins. And this was a Campbell team who made themselves known a little bit in the NCAA tournament. They had that big lead against Duke when they essentially were eliminated in that game, but Duke had that incredible comeback. And Campbell had a pretty good team last year. They played in a tough regional with Georgia and Duke last year in the Athens regional. So that's a good team coming back. So you get a couple of teams in Coastal Carolina and Campbell who you can get a couple of good wins. And then also you get VCU, and you know it might be nice to play VCU the first weekend because you got them two more times on the schedule. So it's almost like a spread out series against the Rams this year. Yeah, I, I was kind of upset not to see an SEC team at the top of the schedules just because since I've known Maryland baseball, that's who they've started out with early in the year is an SEC team. But I really like this tournament to start the year against, like you guys have said, uh, very good teams in Coastal and an NCAA tournament in Campbell and a team you're going to see three times in VCU. So I really like it. It's a good test right off the bat. 
Yeah, those uh, the last three years, Maryland has opened at SEC opponents. Started with Alabama, then LSU, and then Tennessee last year. One thing about Conway, South Carolina, Myrtle Beach is cool. February 15th, 16th, and 17th, not warm there yet. So that's how the season's going to start. Uh, the Terps played in at Coastal, as we've said a few times last year, in March, and it was not warm for those games. So that'll be the case. One weekend when, when it will definitely not be warm, Joe, is the first home series of the season against the Maine Black Bears. Uh, that's the second weekend of the year, February 22nd, 23rd, 24th. No midweek between the Coastal Tournament and that first home series against Maine. Last year, Maryland did the same thing where they had a very early home series against Army. It didn't go well. They dropped two of three after winning the two of three at Tennessee. So this is kind of a big one because you need to win home games. And as we get further down the schedule, uh, the home games are going to get tougher. Yeah, and just I hate talking about weather, but it is going to be cold there and and that's February 22nd, 24th. In that Sunday game against Stetson last year, which was on March 25th, it snowed for about half an inning. That's so true. if you want to see how cold it could be a month earlier than the time it snowed. Uh, but like you said, it's important to get some of those home wins uh, out of the way early against non-conference opponents. So uh, Maine coming in uh, in the second weekend of the season, it'd be nice to pick up a series win there. And, you know, it is kind of the same way that, it worked last year is where Maryland played Army and it was almost a warmer weather series for Army as they came down <clears throat> from West Point. This year you've got a team coming all the way from Maine. This might be like a vacation destination for Maine in February if you know we're playing in 40, to, if it can get up to 40 degrees maybe in College Park and that's going to be big for them. But a Maine team, you know, 20 and 34 last year, they were 12 and 12 in conference, obviously the Maine team. They went to the American East Tournament, didn't make the NCAA tournament, but a good chance again for Maryland like it was last year to get some early home wins. But it's definitely tough. I mean, Joe talked about the snow in late March. We could definitely have snow in late February. It's tough to play those games here. But again, you get a team that is definitely beatable to start your home season. So after that, Maryland has a midweek game at VCU and then a weekend series down in Lafayette against Louisiana Lafayette. If you are wondering where that series comes from. Former Maryland head coach John Sheff spent a few years at Louisiana Lafayette as an assistant. So uh, no Will Watson on the team, no Madison Nickens on the team anymore. They've moved on to graduation. So no Louisiana guys, but uh, that should be fun. I mean, down in Louisiana Lafayette, I'm told that is during Mardi Gras, even though uh, Lafayette's not all that close to New Orleans. But uh, I don't know, maybe I'll grab an Uber down to New Orleans. What do you think? I, I mean, think you should. It, it is <laughs> right during Mardi Gras, so it's probably going to be a wild time in the state of Louisiana, but it's another just good away series for Maryland to play. Louisiana Lafayette 34-25 and 25 last season. They had a little bit of a disappointing end of their season in the Sun Belt Tournament, even though they went 18-12 and 12 in the Sun Belt, which was a pretty good season for that team in Louisiana Lafayette, and they played a very tough schedule last year. I mean, at one point last year, they played four consecutive ranked SEC teams in the non-conference and actually won two of those games against Vanderbilt and LSU. So this is a team that's been known to pick off some powers, especially early in the season. But this is going to be a good test for Maryland, especially on the road. Yeah, you touched on it a little, but if we look at how good that team was last year against ranked competition, I'm just going through their schedule. They took two of three from number 15 Coastal Carolina. Uh, and in that stretch, you talked about um, they took a game – from number 12 Vanderbilt they only lost by two to number 21 Mississippi State um, lost by six to seven 
number seven Kentucky, but then they took two games throughout the season against LSU. Like this team rose to occasions of very good teams and just had a kind of a sad end of the season. So this is a team that kind of rises to very good teams, um, and it's going to be a very tough test down uh, around Mardi Gras. And you guys talk about last year, but historically this is a very good program. The year before last, uh, they went 35-21 and 21 and also had a tie in there. And in 2016, they hosted a regional. So this is a pretty darn good team that Maryland's going on the road to play against. And, you know, we talk about this all the time uh, on this podcast and on broadcast, how, you know, in college baseball, name recognition to the casual consumer uh, might not realize how good a team like Louisiana Lafayette, Stetson, East Carolina, these aren't your brand names in other sports, but they are brand names in college baseball. Uh, and Maryland's got a few of them on the schedule this year. After Louisiana Lafayette, Maryland comes home. They have the first of a mid of two midweeks this year against Delaware. They will sandwich another road series in Deland, Florida, against Stetson, a team that hosted a regional last year, ended up losing in the Chapel Hill Super to North Carolina. Joe, I'll ask you on this one. There's no Logan Gilbert there anymore. He was a first-round pick in the Major League Baseball draft. But there are two starters back from Stetson's team last year. Maryland did take two of three at home from the Hatters last year. But you got Jack Perkins get back, and you have Mitchell Sanger back. And I know you're a big Mitchell Sanger guy. Well, yeah, you're going to bring it up at some point, so I might as well just bring it up myself. I saw some Mitchell Sanger over the summer uh, in the Cape Cod Baseball League, and uh, his innings were way up there by the time he got to Orleans uh, over the summer, um, well over 100 innings. So uh, he had one very good start, participated in a combined no-hitter. He threw eight uh, no-hit innings uh, before he just couldn't go for the ninth. So he's a very strong lefty uh, and just another great pitcher that Maryland's going to have to face throughout the year. Yeah, listen, Logan Gilbert's awesome, and Mitchell Sanger maybe won't be the prospect that Logan Gilbert is when it's all said and done, but he's still a very good pitcher, and we saw that last year as well, but obviously this is the marquee series on the schedule, but this was Maryland's marquee series last year. This is the best Maryland might have looked all season. Obviously, Gilbert came out and pitched well on that Friday night game at Bob Turtlesmith Stadium, and the Stetson offense played very well. But then the Terps went out there and allowed one run in the next two games to the Stetson offense and took two of three. That was obviously the best series of the year for the Terps, their two biggest wins against a team that you talked about, hosted a regional, went to a super against UNC. This is this is the series on the schedule for the Terps, at least before they get to conference play. And it's going to be a couple of big tests to start the season. Yeah, and I think this might be, and you guys can correct me if you disagree, but this might be the sort of toughest travel segment of the schedule because you're going to be at Louisiana Lafayette March 1st, March 2nd, March 3rd. March 3rd. You're going to get back from, La- from Louisiana very late Sunday night. You'll have Monday to do whatever you want. Tuesday, you got a home game against Delaware, but then you're leaving for Florida on Thursday. That's a, you know, it happens. It's college baseball. But from, from going to Louisiana, back to Maryland, back to Florida in less than a week is kind of tough. Yeah, it's, it could be tough for the travel for the Terps, and we know there might you know, be some things around how much they have to travel when they're going down to Louisiana as well. Just because of Mardi Gras might be tough to get around down there and then coming back and then immediately going all the way down to DeLand, Florida after that midweek game. It could definitely be a little bit of travel constraints on the Terps and could maybe wear them down a little bit, but they also know that like that is a big stretch of six games right there, obviously with one Delaware game in the middle. I mean, those seven games right there are going to be huge in defining Maryland's season and really how we're going to look at Maryland going into Big Ten play, you know, whether it's a team that 
that can get some Big Ten wins to qualify for the NCAA tournament or if it's a team where let's try and qualify for the Big Ten tournament. Those seven games right there are going to tell you a lot about the Terps. Yeah, so after that, they have the second Delaware midweek. This one's on the road. That'll be on the Wednesday. Then they have a home series. The Marquee had a conference home one against East Carolina, a team that hosted a regional last year. Couldn't get out of its own regional, but had a really strong year. And Joe, Maryland played three games at ECU last year, and things did not go well at all. So this is a chance for them to sort of get a little revenge for that. Yeah, definitely a lot of revenge, and it's a good – marker of where or how much this team's improved from one year to the next obviously before that we've we talked about that Stetson series but Maryland won two or three last year this is a series that Maryland got swept and only scored four runs in last year so if you want to see how much you improve from year one to year two in Rob Vaughn era this is the first real uh, test to see how you can improve from a team that you didn't necessarily do so well against the previous year. So after that ECU series, uh, Maryland goes on the road for a little bit. Now, the start of ECU is March 15th, Friday. That's also the start of spring break. So last year, Maryland started on the road for spring break. They went ECU, ECU, ECU on the road. UNC Tuesday, Elon Wednesday came home for the end of spring break. This year, they start spring break at home, three games against East Carolina. Then you have two games it's a little bit weird scheduling, but Maryland's going to have two games at Elon, which is in North Carolina. Elon actually, according to D1 Baseball, has two of the top 12 starting pitchers in the country. However, you probably won't see either of those in midweek games. Maryland beat up on Elon in a midweek last year. Then from North Carolina, Maryland will be flying to Omaha for three games at TD Ameritrade Park the home of the College World Series and the Big Ten Tournament, to play Creighton March 22nd, 23rd, and 24th. So that travel's a little weird, too, for Maryland, where you're going to be, I think, bussing to North Carolina and then flying from North Carolina to Nebraska. Uh, interesting, but pretty darn cool you get to play at TD Ameritrade. Right, and you kind of start with Elon, and you can't overlook Elon the way that Maryland beat them last year. Obviously, it was such a tough spring break trip after those three games at ECU, the game against UNC, and Maryland did end it on a high note with the win over Elon 11-3, but it's a team that still won 36 games, 16 in conference last year, and obviously, as you said, they could be even better this year, so you never know. In a two-game series, they could maybe throw one of those guys if they know it's going to be a chance to get a win over a Big Ten opponent, but then you go to Creighton, and obviously, it was a Creighton team who, although they went 34-16, and 16, they really didn't have the schedule to get into the NCAA tournament. They didn't play well at all in the Big East Conference last year, which is one of the weaker conferences in college baseball. So even though they were 34-16, and 16, really didn't have much of a good shot to get into the NCAA tournament. But it's still a you know tough road series, but it could be cool for the Terps. And obviously they're hoping it's not the only time they end up playing at TD Ameritrade Park this upcoming season. And, Joe, one thing I like is between all that travel, so after you're done with Creighton, you start Big Ten play the next weekend, but there's no midweek. So the Terps will get four days off before they host Indiana in the Big Ten opening series March 29th. I like that a lot. I didn't even notice that right away, but I'm glad you brought that up. Just having that entire week of practice and just being able to kind of settle back down. I was just counting up now between that opener on February 15th and then from April 5th to 7th, nine of the first, or you have nine road trips, or you have to go to nine different locations of your first 13 uh, series or teams or tournaments, whatever you're playing. So that's a lot of travel. So to be able to have that week of just being able to relax in College Park, on your own turf, in your own environment, and just be able to get ready for a very good Indiana team for your uh, Big Ten season opener, that's huge. And Connor, it seems like 
I mean, I know it's a rotation and it's how this works, but, I mean, how many times is Maryland going to play Indiana? I'd, it seems like every year. And you know what? It's good for the Terps because they get that good Big Ten team, the perennial, one of the perennial Big Ten teams on their schedule. And obviously it wasn't great for Maryland to have to play them at the end of the season last year. But then again, you want to beat the best to try and be the best. And they had to do that to try and wow. get themselves into the Big Ten tournament last that's, year. That's a Big-time cliche quote from Kyle I mean, there. look, you, wow. you, you got – I mean, that's what, like, I, RPI comes down to. I would to. be <laughs> – I don't know about you. I'd be perfectly okay playing awful teams the whole season, going 45-0 and 0 and being the number one team in the country. I'd be okay with that. I don't need to beat the best to be. the I best. don't think they'd make you the number one team in the country. If you I'd be ranked. Went 45-0 and 0 and played Rutgers Joe? 45 times. UCF did it last year, and they claimed the national championship. This is football, but – That's true. Maryland is going to be the UCF of college baseball. No, I, I am going to be the UCF. Oh, you are going to be Maryland, <laughs> on the other hand, has a tough schedule. Yeah. So, so after Indiana, uh, there's a midweek Tuesday at William & Mary, uh, which should be loads of fun in Williamsburg, Virginia. And then Maryland has its first Big Ten road series of the year against Illinois, a team that came in here and, and beat Maryland in a series last year. Uh, Brent Spillane is gone thankfully, to everyone who's not an Illinois fan. He had a heck of a year last year. That's, you know, kind of a sneaky, tough road series. It's tough to get out to Champaign. You have to fly to, I think, Chicago and then bus two and a half hours. So that's not a fun series either. Um, But that's going to be another team that's going to be in the hunt for the Big Ten tournament. And it's somebody that Maryland has a chance to pick up some good wins off. Yeah, the Illinois team maybe hasn't been that Cody Sedlock top of the rotation Illinois team that were a couple years ago, but... Thirty-three, right? Thirty-three and twenty, fifteen and nine in the Big Ten last year. Like they still had a good season. Obviously, came in and played a series in College Park last year and took the two of three in that one. And of course, went to the Big Ten tournament as well. But this is still a good offense. Brent Spillane gone. Obviously, just hit essentially everything that was pitched to him. Although the Terps did hold him down in College Park last year, which is one of the big parts of that series. Yeah. But they still have a good lineup and. That's going to be a tough road series, and, you know, it was a road series that hurt the Terps a little bit two years ago, the last time they went to Champaign, lost on a couple of walk-offs, I think, in that series, and although they did make the tournament, it kind of hurt their resume a little bit, but it'd be a chance to get some revenge there. And, Joe, something I forgot to mention before we get back to Illinois, whatever you want to comment there, Indiana going through a coaching change this year. Chris Limonis took the job at Mississippi State, so they've got a new staff in there. Um, you wonder sort of how that affects Indiana. They went through a really, really strong stretch with Tracy Smith as their head coach. He took the job at Arizona State, and then there were a few down years, and then Chris Limonis got the thing back up and running. So you sort of wonder what happens this year with a new coach there. Um, but that, that road series at Illinois is an important one. Yeah, and like I said, I kind of made the similar statement for the ECU series. If you want to get a gauge of how you've improved from one year to the next – Maryland played Illinois pretty tough. They had the 1-1 split in the Friday-Saturday, and Maryland led after six innings against Illinois on that Sunday game, and that was a very important series. They weren't able to hold on. Uh, So to be able to go on the road uh, in 2019 and and take a series at Illinois would be huge again. Wasn't there 18 innings of baseball one of the days in that series? Was the Illinois series the two-game, the doubleheader? Yeah, there was. Oh, yeah, there was a doubleheader on Friday, and then they played on Sunday, according to Right, the to avoid. I think they avoided right. weather. Yes, so um, that, that's what that was. That was a tough couple of games on Friday. So, obviously, obviously, you're hoping you can spread out your games into three days against Illinois this season. So, after Illinois, there is a double midweek. 
the first of the year. April 9th against William and Mary. April 10th against West Virginia. Thankfully for everyone, Maryland is not going to West Virginia this year. Those two games are at home. And then you head out to Chicago and Evanston and play Northwestern, a place Maryland hasn't been in a long time. And seemingly every year, Maryland's playing Northwestern again. But this is where you look to pick up Big Ten road wins. You have a road series against Northwestern. You have a road series against Penn State. If this is a tournament team this year, um, at least a Big Ten tournament team, you, these are where you got to pick up four or five wins in those two series. And the Terps last year hosted Northwestern. They got two out of three in that series. But the way the Wildcats were playing, you know, Northwestern ended up, which is the 17 wins. They were 6-18 and 18 in the conference. The Terps were obviously hoping to sweep that series. But as they did a lot of the time last year, they lost the Friday night game and then ended up coming back and winning on Saturday and Sunday. But as you said, those kind of series, those are the ones that Maryland needs to try and take all three games where they want to make a splash in the Big Ten and solidify a spot in the Big Ten tournament after obviously missing it last year. Yeah, with how tough we're going to get to it, how tough the conference home schedule is, I'm, I'm looking at the at Illinois, at Northwestern, at Penn State, and those, like you said, are where the wins are going to need to come, and they're going to have to come on the road. So to be able to get road wins and conference wins, um, that just makes it even more important, those three series. Yeah, it really is striking how much, you know, on paper easy, easier the road conference schedule is than the home conference schedule. Um, moving on after Northwestern, Maryland has another double midweek. James Madison and George Mason. Uh, James Madison, George Mason. Yeah, I said that right. Um, it seems like midweeks get rained out almost every week, but back-to-back -back weeks of double midweeks is pretty unique, and that's something Maryland is going to have to, in theory, deal with this year. Then you have a home series against Ohio State, a team that rebounded from a bad year two years ago. Uh, made the conference tournament, had a good year last year, but lost a lot from last year's team. So that's a series you feel like Maryland might be able to handle at home. Then you have a midweek against VCU, your second of two. Then you go to Penn State, um, the worst team in the Big Ten the last two years. Then you're at Villanova for a midweek. So that'll be four straight games in Pennsylvania for Maryland. And then you've got the home series against Michigan. And boy, Maryland was not happy with what down, went down at Michigan last year with all the weather and only two games getting played and just everything weird that happened last year. So you can bet that Maryland, against its former coach, Eric Backich, is going to be fired up for that May 3rd through the 5th series at home against the Wolverines. And I'm not going to lie, I feel like you're still a little uh, upset about what went on in that Michigan series as well, Justin, having to deal with the real feel weather temperature in Ann Arbor and trying to get those games in and just everything that went down at Michigan, only playing the two games. But now you get it back to May in College Park, which should be very pleasant weather unless it's a downpour that entire weekend. But that's obviously going to be a big series for Maryland. And really, when you look at the end of the schedule, these last three Big Ten series are just going to be huge for the Terps because there's a chance they could come in to those last three series in a good spot in the Big Ten standings to get themselves to Omaha for the Big Ten tournament. But those three series are very tough. That Michigan, and we'll talk about Minnesota and Iowa, I mean, it looks like you're playing three of what could be maybe the best five teams in the Big Ten to finish out the year. And, Joe, Michigan last year had a really good year. They had that ridiculous winning streak, didn't end up making the NCAA tournament. But they were one of the youngest teams in the league last year, had a lot of freshmen contribute. They brought in another top 25 recruiting class this year. Um, Minnesota's – I think going to be the favorite to win the Big Ten, but I would say Michigan's probably number two. 
I, I'd agree, and I don't have to say much more other than the, the, the youth that they have and the good recruiting class and obviously good coaching staff over there. And my point towards the end of the season here, if Maryland can do its job against the Penn State, Illinois, and Northwestern, they can get away with being able to lose a home series uh, late in the year and still be fine, and it will make it that much more awesome if they're able to take two of three if they can do their jobs against Penn State, Northwestern, Illinois you and really? be able to – win those series it would be awesome right Connor it'd be awesome that's the that's you know be awesome if it does not rain at any Maryland baseball game this year that's what's considered awesome that would be awesome there were probably more delay hours than game hours in that Michigan series last year I think you're right that was a very long weekend in Ann Arbor uh Connor and I just got back from Ann Arbor where it was raining all weekend but not nearly as bad you need to stay out of Michigan (laughs) I'm convinced the weather's never good there I, I don't know. Listen, uh, I went, when I went to East Lansing last year and the Terps took two or three from the Spartans, the weather was perfect. So, All right, so maybe it's Ann Arbor. <laughs> East Lansing, beautiful place to be. Um, after Michigan, Maryland, home midweek game, in-state rivalry, Towson Tigers. Can't wait for that one. Then the marquee road series of the year, at least in Big Ten play, the defending league champion in terms of the regular season and the Big Ten tournament. Minnesota, that's where Maryland's going. They're going to go play in Minneapolis. Minnesota has a lot back from a young team that won the league last year. And they didn't only win the league. They dominated the league. They were the best team in the regular season by far the whole way. Went undefeated through the Big Ten tournament. Hosted a regional. Won that regional easily. Then played out in Corvallis against the eventual national champion, Oregon State Beavers. Lost the first game, should have won the second game, and set up a game three. Ended up going 0-2 in that super against, as we said, the team that ended up winning the national championship. But, Joe, Michigan had the best starting pitcher in the league last year and had the best closer in the league last year. Those guys are both back, and there's a lot of that offense back. Yeah, that's going to be a tough one late in the year. Um, But, I mean, as much as you would like momentum going into a potential postseason, it's also good to have a test, too, just to see where you are at that point of the year. Uh, And Minnesota is definitely the best test in the Big Ten, so they'll have it right there uh, in the last few weeks of the season. Then you got James Madison for the final midweek of the year on the road in Harrisonburg, just another great place to be. And then you finish out the series Thursday, Friday, Saturday, as always, before the Big Ten tournament. It'll be at home this year. Maryland hasn't been at home to end the series in a while, end the season in a while. And they'll take on the Iowa Hawkeyes. And, Connor, uh, I think if there's anything you can bet on in college baseball, it's pretty much Rick Heller and the Iowa Hawkeyes being somewhere between the three and six seed in the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, you know they will either be playing for one of those seeds or pretty much have it locked up. And you know that you feel like when Iowa comes in, they won't be like the world beater best team in the Big Ten, but you just know Iowa's going to be good. They're going to hit, they're going to pitch, they're going to play defense, and they're going to give you three good games. And it's going to be good for Maryland. I think it's going to be really good for Maryland to play that final series at home this year, just being able to kind of regroup everything at home. You know, last year, that second to last series, they swept Rutgers and were feeling good, but had to go to Bloomington in a very tough series and obviously ended up missing the Big Ten tournament. But this year, if they can get themselves in position in that final weekend, maybe where it's they need to get a couple wins to get in the Big Ten tournament if that happens again. It's just much better to have that series at home to be able to control a lot more things about your team. And then you always have to wonder, what junior college transfer is Iowa going to get this year that hits 350 and hits 15 home runs? It seems like it happens uh, every year. So before we rack, wrap up the schedule discussion, I'll pose the question to you guys. What I'm not going to let you pick one game. Um, so, you, you know, you can't pick the Coastal game unless you're picking the Coastal tournament as a whole. But – 
Um, and I think one of you two last year gave the answer of the first game of the, ser- of the season. That's not allowed either. <laughs> what are you most excited for this year? I, I have to say the East Carolina series. And I know it didn't go great for the Terps last year when they went to ECU and got swept. And it was kind of a tough spring break trip for Maryland. But now you start spring break on your home turf. You play an East Carolina team that won 44 games last season, went to the NCAA tournament, has a very good team, and had a fairly young team that's returning, and they have a couple of really good pieces on that team. And this, I think, could be a series that kind of mirrors what the Terps did against Stetson at home last year, where it's a top 25 caliber team coming in, and you know they're looking for what could be some Big Ten victories against a Power 5 school, and Maryland playing at home could get some huge, huge wins over ECU. So definitely excited for that kind of team because not just it being ECU, but kind of like Stetson was last year, you get to see some, pro, some really top-notch pro prospects coming in on that ECU team. I, I like the Stetson series early. Um, obviously, really good pitchers there, Mitchell Sanger and Jack Perkins coming back. Um, that Stetson pitching staff's not going to slow down just because Logan Gilbert's gone. Uh, so just an early season road, uh, really good non-conference team that's coming off a NCAA Super Regional. If I had to give a 1B, it would just be the Big Ten home opener against Indiana. That's going to be a good one. I think Minnesota's going to be really fun on the road, but my pick here will be the Michigan series, May 3rd through the 5th. You know, because of everything that happened last year, because you have the connection of the coaching staffs. And remember two years ago when Michigan came to College Park and Maryland took two of three? That was the most fun series of that year for a team that um, went pretty far in the Big Ten tournament, made an NCAA regional. You know, there were fun games and stuff that went on. But that Michigan series was electric here between two teams that were right around the top 25. You had the best two pitchers in the league, Brian Schaefer and Oliver Jasky, going at it on Friday night. So I'm really excited for that Michigan series. But uh, I think we've all agreed sort of in the last half hour of talking about this. This is a fun schedule. This is a good schedule. This is a tough schedule. Um, And one that I think Rob Vaughn's going to be very happy that is on his card for year two. He's got a good chance to get some big wins and get this team back to the NCAA tournament. I think that's all you can ask from a schedule. I second that. I have nothing more to add. This is a really good schedule, and I I can't wait to see what high-quality wins Maryland picks up in 2019. Well, when Joe has nothing more to add, that means it's time to move on. So in a moment, we're going to discuss summer Terps, what everybody did who's coming back this year. So now it's time to talk about summer ball, everybody's favorite topic. What did the guys do when they're away from College Park uh, this summer? We'll start with the offense. And sort of for this section, I'm going to have to defer to you guys a little bit in terms of knowledge. I did not work in college summer baseball this summer, so I didn't get to see anyone, but you guys did. Um, And two guys who went out for the summer who were starters last year that – you wanted to see have good summers, really did. And that's Justin Vogt and Taylor Wright. Well, yeah, I'll start with Justin Vogt on my Baltimore Redbirds. He hit 347 this year. I mean, Justin Vogt just swung the bat so well in the summer for the Redbirds. Seven doubles, three homers, 16 runs driven in for Vogt. And I think really what was the biggest issue for Justin Vogt last season, you could kind of tell, is he was getting better and better defensively, and he showed that this summer as well, and he should be the starting catcher for the Terps as we get to the spring if you look at the team right now. But the issue was the strikeouts, really big free swinger. He cut down on those significantly this summer, 
16 strikeouts to 12 walks, a lot better ratio than he had in the spring. And I think that was really the best look for Vote as he was just on. There was a two-week stretch in the summer where Justin Vote was by far the best hitter in the Cal Ripken League this year. And I think he had a very, very good summer. And hopefully he can kind of back that up with a good sophomore spring. And I think it's important to note why it's important for us that Vote and Wright had good summers. Is that, like you said, they're returning. But especially with an infield that's losing their starting second baseman in Nick Dunn and first baseman in Kevin Bionic, that left side of the infield is going to be important with A.J. Lee and Taylor Wright probably at third there. And then with um, Justin Morris graduating now, you're going to have Justin Vote as your starting catcher most likely. So it's important to have those returning guys that you need to have a pivotal role in your lineup doing well. And Taylor Wright... Uh, being able to hit for average, hit 296 over the summer. He hit for average and was able to develop a little power, too. He hit six home runs more than any other chirp this summer. Uh, he started to come on. I think he hit both his home runs very late in the year uh, last year. So if he's able to hit for a little more average and still uh, be able to develop some power at the same time, that's a pretty good sign. Yeah, and I think the point you made is a good one, Joe, about um, just how much turnover there's going to be in the Terps offense this year with the guys they lost. Unless we're missing somebody, which we don't think we are, Tommy Gardner, A.J. Lee, Chris Allen, Barrett Smith, Randy Bednar, Justin Vogt, Taylor Wright. That's it for returning Terps offensively who played summer baseball. On the mound, there were some guys who had some really good summers. Um, and Connor John Murphy, Mike Vastoria, Zach Thompson, three guys who went up to the NECBL, a place that Maryland hasn't historically sent people and they all did very well. Yeah, Zach Thompson had a great summer as a starter. He was really one of the only guys for this, you know, from this Maryland team who went up as a starter and was really just a starter for his summer league team. But Thompson by far had pitched the most innings. You really got to see the most of him in the NECBL this past summer. And 47 strikeouts in 46 innings for him and a 308 ERA. Thompson, obviously, a transfer from D3 St. Mary's who had to sit out last year for Maryland but now is eligible this season and is fighting for a spot as one of Maryland's weekend starters and definitely fighting for one of those four rotation spots counting a midweek starter role as well, a right-handed pitcher in Thompson who had a good summer, and but you talked about, I mean, John Murray and Mike Fasteria just, it seemed like for John Murphy, he kind of got back to what he had been two years ago, maybe had a little bit of a rough stretch last spring, and for Mike Fasteria, he really took the next step this summer, just two walks for Fasteria in 16 innings, the ERA was down under 1.7, and for John Murphy, he just struck out everyone he faced this summer, did Murphy 28 strikeouts to just eight walks. Yeah, those guys had good summers. Um, maybe the most entertaining part about it this summer, I don't know if it was for you guys, but it was for me. I don't know how much Sanford Mainer's Twitter fo you followed this summer, Joe, but boy, did they love Sean Fisher. I didn't follow much, but I did think I see a few funny tweets and him retweeting things. I can't correctly pinpoint some of those tweets, but I just remember at some point this summer knowing that Sanford was loving Sean Fisher. Yeah, and, and Fish was a guy who showed some signs last year as a freshman, and as a left-hander, he could be a huge part of Maryland's bullpen this year. Absolutely, and I'd just like to make an overall point about these pitchers. All, I think, eight returning pitchers that pitched this summer um, all had varying amounts of innings pitched, but all had less than 10 walks the entire summer. And it just across all baseball, it's not just Maryland. Um, you don't want to walk guys, and especially the first guy of an inning, which um, kind of happened a, a lot last year. And obviously when that first guy gets on for a walk, more times than not, you feel like it scores. So to see a lot of these guys strike out a lot of guys and not walk as many is a very good sign. Um, and hopefully that will translate into 2019. And something I especially saw in the Ripken League this summer, two guys who just, 
really impressed me, who maybe didn't have huge, huge roles for the Terps out of the bullpen, but could be getting bigger roles. First of all, Billy Phillips in his continue back to really becoming what he wants to be is which is going to be a wanting wants to be a starting pitcher for the Maryland Terrapins in that rotation Billy Phillips the ERA maybe wasn't where he wanted it was up over five but for Billy this summer 15 innings 15 strikeouts and he walked just two batters and just from watching him pitch every time he was on the mound this summer his breaking ball was back his fastball command was good maybe not the velocity he wants but his breaking ball was by far the best I'd ever seen it. And the other guy I really want to talk about, Elliot Zollner, who kind of switched his arm angle last year and went to sidearm. You know, he had varying, you know, success with it in the spring. He struggled to find the strike zone sometimes. This summer with the Bethesda Big Train, he was finding the strike zone a lot more often. And Zollner was one of the toughest relievers to hit in the Ripken League, a .64 ERA in the summer for Zollner over 14 innings. He allowed just one earned run over the whole summer, struck out 15 and walked four. So he looks like he's kind of gotten that delivery down, and that makes him a big weapon for the Terps because he showed flashes of it the last couple weeks of the season where he was able to throw strikes, get a lot of hitters out. And just to wrap up that point on those two guys, Billy, will just he wasn't able to blow guys away last year, and he's not a guy that's going to blow a lot of guys away with uh, a lot of speed. But to be able to strike out a guy per innings, a good sign. Uh, and just on Zollner, he was just trying to make that sidearm, sidearm switch in the middle of the year, which can be very hard to make kind of small adjustments like that in the middle of the year. To have an entire offseason now to work on it and try to perfect it with Corey Mascara now and over the summer, uh, and to have some success with it over the summer is obviously a very good sign. So the summer, you can you know you can read into it as much as you want or as little as you want, but you like to have guys have good summers, and then you obviously can't just look at things um, on a sheet of paper and say these were a guy's stats in the summer because the summer's the time to work on stuff. So maybe some pitcher said I'm spending this whole summer working on my changeup, and maybe that can inflate the ERA a little bit. But come next spring, uh, they'll be better off for it. So that's kind of taking the summer with a grain of salt, and we'll see you know what happens. Um, we'll get to this. We'll repeat it a little bit later in this podcast. But just so everyone knows, our first look at all the returners and all the new guys uh, is not too far away next weekend. So not this upcoming weekend, but the following weekend, Maryland will play the first of its two scrimmages. They'll play here on Saturday, I think 18 innings against Southern New Hampshire University. The following weekend, they will be going to St. John's. That's a really good fall scrimmage. Uh, and they'll play them the following Saturday. And then the weekend after that is the Fall World Series. I believe that's going to be Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Wednesday being Halloween. And all of that will be here on the Maryland Baseball Network, uh, as always with the Fall World Series. But sort of a fun, good new rule, I think, college football, uh, college baseball, excuse me, put in this year that you get to play a couple fall scrimmages. And Maryland's taking full advantage of that. Southern New Hampshire, Division II school, but... They're a power in Division Two, And then St. John's, a team that's had a really strong stretch over the last few years. Um, so those are really good tests for Maryland. If you're wondering where those opponents came from, it's the last couple places their pitching coach, Corey Muscara, coached. Right, exactly. And that's the Corey Muscara connection. And obviously the big one is St. John's, where Coach Muscara came from heading to Maryland. And St. John's has been a good team over the past couple years. And they've obviously had some good pitching staffs. And Corey Muscara has a lot to do with that. And that's a good scrimmage. And Southern New Hampshire, again, as you said, that's one of those teams where you look at it and you see not a D1 team. And you're like, well, who's Maryland playing? <laughs> Very good team at below the D1 level that should give Maryland a good test to really start 
to put these guys together on the field. A lot of new guys on the team this year, transfers and freshmen, and see what they can do. And then, of course, you get to finish it off with the Fall World Series. And I think this is going to help a lot of teams, especially Maryland with such a young team with a bunch of new guys, because usually when it's just the Fall World Series, you're still seeing you know, your own pitching. You're not seeing other pitching. You're starting it off by seeing a couple of teams with some good pitching, and then you get to face your own guys and feel like maybe a little bit more camaraderie once you get to that Fall World Series, playing together so much more with those 18-inning scrimmages. Yeah, sometimes it's very hard to gauge if it was just the Fall World Series just because it's your own guys versus your own guys, so you don't really know who's performing better than the other other guys on your own team. So to be able to have those two uh, teams that uh, aren't your own are going to be huge as well. And it's going to be huge for us too because we'll be bringing everyone coverage from those two exhibitions and three Fall World Series games, so we'll be definitely excited to bring you all the coverage on those five games. I know I'm excited. It's been too long without Maryland baseball, so that's uh, going to be fun. And now from summer Terps, uh, let's roll into pro Terps and start right at the top. We've got another Major League Baseball Terp, and boy, was it a splash in the big leagues for Brandon Lau. I mean, Brandon Lau, he was a fast riser from those super regional Maryland Terrapin teams drafted by the Rays. And, you know, obviously he was kind of moving through single A, the different levels, 2016, 2017, jumped to double A last year. And this year he started his season in double A. 54 games there. He moved to AAA where he played 46 games. And he was really never like really you know, he was hitting so well winning minor league player of the week, you know, the AAA player of the week, but he was never a top 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 prospect in MLB or in the Rays system where people were like when are they going to call Lau up? When are they going to call Lau up? Well, they did finally call him up and Brandon Lau after something that could really get a guy down. He started 0 for 19 in his major league career. And then after that, he just continued to hit the ball. He ended up with a 324 on base percentage, hit 233 with six homers, drove in 25 in 43 games at the major league level. But after that 0 for 19, he sh shook off the rust, got set for major league pitching. He had a great season. And Joe, I'm pretty sure there was a game in the Bronx where Brandon Lau hit a home run or got a hit or something, and Adam Kalarik got the save, another former Terp. That's pretty darn cool for this program. It's, it's really awesome just to see. Obviously, there's a lot of success going on in the minors right now with all the recent guys, but to see two guys on the major league level uh, on the same team and in the same game to have success like that, it's awesome. And I don't know the last time I've watched a full Tampa Bay Rays game before these well, two guys were on the same team together. Yeah, I mean – uh, it took a while for you to get into baseball, so that's obviously... Yeah, it's still my first year as a fan of the game, <laughs> so I was very excited. It's thanks to Brandon Lau and Adam Kolarek. So uh, those two guys obviously doing stuff. Brett Cecil with the St. Louis Cardinals. Those are the three Terps at the top in the major leagues. And I think when we did uh, our sort of preview podcast last fall with the three of us, we asked between Lamont Wade, Brandon Lau, and Mike Schwarren who was going to be the first to get to the bigs. Um, I have no idea what any of us said. No one picked Brandon Lau. Okay, so nobody picked Brandon Lau. So we were all wrong, which is um, shocking. I don't think I, any of us are usually wrong about stuff. But uh, I don't think it's, on a more serious note, I don't think it's going to be too much longer before we see Lamont Wade and Mike Schwarren up in Minnesota and Boston, respectively. And, you know, the whole thing against Lamont Wade, it's, it's been his entire baseball career. Everyone says, well, he's a corner outfielder. But if he's not hitting home runs, then, you know, what's he doing? Well, yeah, maybe he's not hitting 30 home runs a year. Lamont Wade, he hit 11 of them this year between AA and AAA as he made it up to AAA Rochester with the Minnesota Twins. But 
The guy just gets on base everywhere he goes. A 391 career on base percentage in the minors. It was 360 this season between the two levels. And he did struggle a little bit when he got to AAA. And that's why maybe his path to the big leagues wasn't as straight. But he figured things out as the season went on. And the Minnesota Twins, it's interesting how their organization is set up with the corner outfielders. They've got Byron Buxton. He's their guy in center field. They have about eight or nine guys in this pool, including Lamont Wade, who are just interesting corner outfielders that they're giving them all kind of a chance. And it seems like Wade's chance is going to come in 2019. And none of these guys have really like grabbed hold of one of those positions. And if Wade can do that, he could be a major leaguer. And Minnesota looks like they are about to go through a full-blown rebuild with a guy like Joe Mauer's probably done there. They fired Paul Molitor. It seems like they're going to go younger and more analytics-based. So rebuild means chance for a young guy. Could mean chance for Lamont Wade. Uh, Mike Schwarin, though, um, you know, probably the best pitcher in school history for Maryland. Uh, got up to Pawtucket this year, AAA for the Red Sox, did a good job, and that's somebody we could see up in Boston next year. Uh, that, that'd be awesome. And just I don't know if the three current Terps in the MLB is a record for Maryland at any one time, but I think if it, it's not, we're getting there with uh, Wade and Schwarin on the rise. Uh, it just it feels like yesterday Mike Schwarin was on the mound in a Maryland uniform, striking out guys left and right. Uh, so to see the success he's having, uh, just be able to have such a, a good season throwing another 150 innings um, over the minor leagues uh, year this year and just being able to have a, a ERA in the threes and just keep keep doing what he's doing is really good. And, Connor, I think this is a point best for you to sort of elaborate on, but I was thinking about this at some point this summer. Those two super regional teams that Maryland had, um, at the time they were sort of surprises to get there. Now that you look back on it, there were a lot of pros on those teams, and it's not that surprising that they got where they got. You look at those teams going back, and obviously, I mean, by far, you look at those two teams, that's like the best two-year stretch in Maryland baseball right. history. Those are the teams that you look And it's cool to have that in such, you know, just three or four years ago. All those guys that got drafted after that 2015 season, and, you know, some of them haven't climbed the major league. Some of them may be already out of baseball, but they had a couple years in the minors. And then you have the other guys like Wade and like Schwarin and obviously like Brandon Lau, who's in the majors. And guys who are still climbing and, you know, trying to knock on the door for the majors and at least still grinding it out in the minor leagues. You look back on those teams, and now you're like, wow, there's a reason they went to Super Regionals because look at all this professional talent they have on the team. Now, other than Brandon Laujo, who got to the major leagues this year, so I think he automatically is probably the terp, pro Terp who had the best year. Um, but Kevin Smith, I mean, unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, I feel like every other week we were having some kind of award out for Kevin Smith. He hit over 300 this year uh, in the minors, and he hit 25 home runs with 93 RBIs. That 25 home runs in one calendar year is probably more than he had in four years at Maryland. And I think he had double digits almost in two of those years. Uh, so um, it, just that power, the 93 RBIs, the average, hitting for average, getting on base, um, he, he, he was raking all year long. And it's almost unfortunate for Kevin Smith. I mean, he was incredible this year moving up up the, the ranks in single A. I mean, there's no question you'll see him in double A at some point next year. The Toronto Blue Jays might have – one of the best, if not the best, pool of infielders in right. their minor league system. And we saw Kevin 
play some shortstop and some third base this year as he tries to move around and find himself a spot where he can move up because the bat's there. They just need to find a place to put him with all these young guys, of course, including Vlad Guerrero Jr., who's the prized possession of the Blue Jays' farm system. But they have some guys who have already made it to the major leagues in that infield who are very young guys. And so Kevin Smith, if he keeps hitting like this, though, he could jump some of these guys. And at some point, if he keeps hitting like this, it looks like he's going to be in the major leagues too because he just keeps hitting every level he goes in whatever position he plays. It doesn't really matter. In pro Terps news, we had a big trade this summer. Brian Schaefer got traded from the Arizona Diamondbacks organization to the Tampa Bay Rays organization. So somebody in Tampa has to like Terps because you got Brandon Lau and now you got Brian Schaefer, who had a good year. He struggled a little bit after the trade, seemed to figure it out um, after that. But I just thought it was pretty cool where it was like, hey, Brian Schaefer got traded for a major leaguer. Like, that's kind of cool. It, it was cool. And you know why he got traded for a major leaguer? Because Brian Schaefer goes on the mound and just doesn't walk anyone. This year, between, you know, a couple of teams, a couple of levels, 145 in a third innings, he walked 31 batters. Like, you, you know he's going to go out there and throw strikes. And the strikeout numbers were really good, especially before the trade, 109 Ks and 106 innings. As he was getting the strikeouts up, even maybe more than it was sometimes at Maryland, where he was a good strikeout pitcher, but sometimes you just see him pitch to contact. But the strikeouts were there this year. He had such a great season, the ERA, down just under 2.8 on the season between the different couple of different teams that he played for at the Class A level. And he's another guy like Kevin Smith who I expect him to be playing at the A level in 2019. And, Joe, for the guys who were on the team last year, just discussing them uh, quickly, Marty Costas got drafted and signed with the Astros. Nick Dunn drafted and signed with St. Louis, the Cardinals. Uh, Nick and Marty made it up to low A by the end of the season. Marty with the Quad Cities River Bandits and Nick Dunn with the Peoria Chiefs. And then you had Kevin Biondic get signed as a free agent by the Red Sox. Justin Morris signed as a free agent by the Pirates. And Taylor Bloom pitched a few times an independent ball. Yeah, it, it was it was cool to see, obviously, Marty and Nick right after they were, right after they were drafted. But it was also interesting to see Kevin uh, and Taylor uh, later in the summer uh, sign some deals with different teams. So it was cool to keep up on that. Um, and, and Nick Dunn just kept playing very well. He hit... Um, maybe not his Maryland Nick Dunn, but obviously this is an adjustment to minor league baseball. So um, he hit above 250, hit a few home runs, and then Marty as well, a little bit of an adjustment period as well. But I, I have full confidence that once they get acclimated in a full season, uh, it'll be very good. And, and, and Kevin was able to pitch almost 30 innings across the minors as well this summer. So uh, very good, and I'm sure they'll be very good to years to come. And for Dunn, I mean, you know, the average might not have been completely there. He did struggle when he moved up a level, but at short season single A with the State College Spikes, he did what he always does. He struck out 21 times, and he walked 22 times. So as long as Nick Dunn is walking more than he strikes out, he is an asset to every single team he plays for. So those are the pro Terps. We talked about summer Terps. We talked about the schedule, and that's pretty much it for this podcast. We thank you all so much for listening. We hope uh, you enjoyed it. I hope you two enjoyed it. Um, don't often do the three-person podcast. We did it once last year. It's our first time uh, this year, and I think it went pretty well. So it might be my last one if I'm only doing these one-hit wonders here at the beginning of the season. What do you think? Joe Catapano, one-hit wonder. I will have to get him back on the podcast at some point. But then again, when you get into the season, we get the guests, we get the players on here, a lot of voices. But got to keep it up, Joe, to get, get your there is the There is definitely well. a list of importance of voices people want to hear. And um, Connor's, Connor and me, that's it's not high on the list, but uh, Joe definitely – 
very low on that list. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy, I have, I'm not even going to comment that <laughs> on that. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> so, but I uh, read my writing instead. Yes. Uh, everyone, go read Joe's preview of the schedule that he wrote was posted on our website yesterday. And as we said earlier, uh, the next three weekends after this one. So just to put it uh, not in terms of dates, but in terms of football. Not the weekend Maryland plays Rutgers, but starting with the weekend Maryland is at Iowa. We'll have baseball for you on the Maryland Baseball Network two weeks from now. Saturday, 18 innings, Southern New Hampshire against Maryland. The following weekend, I believe 18 innings also, Maryland at St. John's. And then during the week, the final week, uh, the next week, excuse me, uh, we'll have the Fall World Series. After that, it'll basically be Thanksgiving. After that, it'll basically be winter break. And after that, uh, before you know it, Maryland will be down at Myrtle Beach playing Coastal Carolina, Campbell, and VCU. And I can't wait for it, and I know you guys can't either. Yeah, it's going to be exciting. You circle Campbell on the schedule instead of Tennessee this year, but same thing, and you get a good team to start at Campbell and then Coastal, and all of a sudden it's going to be February. Basically, once we get to the cold weather and sometime in November, then it's just going to fly to February. It doesn't matter which team's first up on the schedule. You're just as excited for that first game of the season, and I'm already ready for it. And Joe was totally kidding. You're the best. Thanks for coming. I, it's fine. <laughs> so that does it for this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Thanks so much for listening, and so long, everyone.